0: Christian School Management wants to partner with your Christian school, bringing hope. Since 2017, we have provided advice and counsel to hundreds of Christian schools. Our consultants, books, surveys, and online trustee training are Christian, research-based, and represent over 400 years of experience. Are you struggling? Our mission is to bring prosperity. Are you strong and growing? Our mission is to deepen your leadership and stewardship. Go to Christian School Management and find out more. Entheos is our free advice and counsel letter that is read by over 1,100 Christian school leaders a week. Go to christianschoolmanagement.org and sign up your leadership team. For Jesus, through mission with students. Let CSM partner with you. Real Traps is the premier source for high-performance acoustic treatment, including bass traps, broadband absorbers, and diffusers. Once a room has been properly treated, clarity and articulation of music and speech improve enormously. Our clients include famous mixing and mastering engineers, corporations, and even a research lab at MIT. Whether you're a professional recording engineer, audiophile, or home theater owner who wants the best sound possible, upgrade your entire system with acoustic treatment from Realtraps. Visit Realtraps.com. It's the Science Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We're with Simon Jeans, the founder of Christian School Management. We're going to talk about a subject that a lot of people don't talk about, the school district. What goes behind it all? How is it run? People must have a lot of questions and maybe what's the best school to take your children. Simon, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Michael. It's great to be with you. Happy Christmas. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.beardynamic.com. Real Traps is the premier source for high-performance acoustic treatment, including bass traps, broadband absorbers, and diffusers. Once a room has been properly treated, clarity and articulation of music and speech improve enormously. Whether you're a professional recording engineer, audiophile, or home theater owner who wants the best sound possible, upgrade your entire system with acoustic treatment from RealTraps. Visit realtraps.com. You see it all the time. Uh, there's the church and there's the school. And I'm thinking somebody's making some money here. If you have a Christian school, uh, it's not always the case. It can be very profitable, but they're not always successful. And then you come in with the Christian school management. Tell our audience a little bit about what you do, because you're a consultant that a lot of Christian schools turn to to turn things around.
1: Yeah, Christian school management. Includes a number of consultants. We just had a retreat in November. There were 15 of us in the room from all kinds of different places. I live in Canada, but I had consultant colleagues there from the West Coast, from the East Coast, from Michigan, from all all over, literally all over Florida, Delaware, uh, Washington, Oregon. And we work with schools to help them thrive. You said there's money in education. I hate to disagree with you right at the beginning of uh, our show, but it's okay. really, it's a black hole. You can't throw enough money at education. It just sinks right out of sight because the costs are so high. It, you know, 70%, 60 70%, 80% of your costs are personnel. It's teachers. You're paying for the people who are... Closest to your children. So the profit that you make is not a financial one. It's the excitement of investing in children, of seeing children be part of God's kingdom, extending God's kingdom by expanding enrollment and offering opportunities, uh, partnering with families who are excited about what a school can do to support them in their parenting be a place where their values are are paralleled as the child spends their day uh, at school. So it's a wonderful opportunity for families and their children. It's a great opportunity for teachers who want to teach in a Christian environment where they can witness to the Lord. Uh, And so it's a a great thing all around. And our job at CSM is to help schools uh, remain prosperous, if you like. We started in 2017 because we saw literally hundreds of schools not doing well and some closing. And so we said, hey, we can do something about this. And that's what we're doing.
0: Now, that's a shame, though, just like certain churches that schools can close down if uh, they don't contact an organization like yours, a Christian school management. There are things that they could do. But one thing that I understand is that a lot of times in Christian circles, we like to be frugal and maybe save money or cut corners, though. But you don't agree with that.
1: For the most part, you believe, let's pay these
0: teachers what they deserve.
1: The labor is worthy of his hire, scripture says. And so we need to respect and honor those people who are professionals. They've given a lot of their years to education. They spend hours and hours every day with the most precious thing that we have, which is our children. So they should be honored and respected and paid their due, so to speak. But here's the other thing. If you were to go to a a hospital and want an operation, would you want a doctor who was paid minimum wage? No. Probably not. You'd want somebody who was really expert in their field. And one of the ways in which our society rewards expertise is through their payments. Everybody that's listening to this show gets paid. We all want to believe that we can look after our families, pay our mortgages, have a good place to live uh, and bring up our children. And teachers are, are no different. So when we think that we can skimp on our teachers, what we're really doing is saying that we can get great teachers, but not very much. And that's just not true. Great teachers want to be respected as professionals, and so when we pay them well, we're not talking about making them multimillionaires. Good Lord, we know that's not going to happen in Christian schools, but at least enough so that they don't have to apply for food stamps, and maybe a little beyond that. Wouldn't that be nice? Is that the first problem when you talk to you know schools where they don't get
0: that, and maybe they just say, "Listen, Simon, thank you for your time. Uh, it was great talking to you." You know, because a lot of people, you know, as I've gotten older, I realize that it's better to pay more. For something of quality and you actually end up paying a lot more if you kind of skimp out on things. And so is that a problem? Do you find that, okay, this is not a good fit if they can't get that?
1: Well, everybody wants to have their cake and eat it. As my grandmother used to say, they, mm-hmm. they want to have something that's really cheap and then they want something that's fantastic. And the two things don't match. I mean, maybe in potatoes it matches. I I don't know. I've grown potatoes most of my life, and I love potatoes. And you never told me potatoes. That. Yeah, well, potatoes as good as another. I I love them all. And you get a good harvest and they're cheap, and you get a bad harvest and they're expensive. But mm-hmm. here's the thing: a lot of people don't want to go into teaching anymore. The number of people who want to teach has has drastically reduced over the last decade. And when you talk to parents and you say, what occupations would you like your children to have? It used to be back in 2000, 1990, 1980, teaching was right up there with everything else. But today, parents are going, oh, no, don't go into teaching. That's just a place where you're going to get sucked dry and and have nothing to show for it. Uh, Go into something else, anything else. And so we have this strange phenomenon where we have less and less people wanting to go into teachers into teaching, including recommendations from parents, Uh, and at the same time, those same parents want fantastic teachers in their classrooms with their children and want it as cheap as possible. So the board's job that runs the school is to ignore the one side of the parent and agree with the other side of the parent. The board's job is to say, we absolutely want fantastic teachers in our classroom because we're a Christian school. We're committed to excellence. How can we not be committed to excellence when our master was committed to excellence? Hmm. We're going to ignore parents who, of course, want to keep as much of their money as they want for themselves. We totally get that. No, we're going to say, no, you, you get a fantastic product. Uh, you should pay a fair price. We're not going to overcharge you. We're not in this to, to make millions, but we want to have safe buildings. We want to have great resources for our teachers to deliver the mission of the school, uh, and we want to have great teachers who are satisfied with their professional lives and want to stick to it decade after decade after decade.
0: Simon, I know that there can be gridlock, I mean, even in churches where things get all caught up in the board, you know what I mean? And it's surprising, and churches end up closing because of it. Now let's talk about schools. There can be that tension, can't there, between the school head and the school board, you know, butting heads, if you will. Uh, What is that dynamic like? And are people willing to, you know, share the power, if you will, so things can run smoothly?
1: Oh, Michael, you hit it on the knob, power. It's really strange because as Christians, we don't like to talk about power because we're supposed to be servant leaders, right? We're Mm -hmm. supposed to be on the floor washing each other's feet. That's not often how it happens in the real world. That doesn't make it right that it doesn't happen in the real world. In fact, it makes it incredibly sad. But unfortunately, sometimes power is once people get a feel of it, sometimes it goes to their heads. Uh, And they don't really want it to, they're good people, but it's really hard not to use power once you've got it, and rather as Jesus did, to give it up. Mm. Uh, So here we have the dynamic. The board is the employer, the head of school or the principal or the superintendent, whatever they're called, uh, they're the employee. And so there's that sort of power dynamic, right? You've got the employer and the employee. And so the employer thinks that they should tell the employee what to do. However, the is the professional, they're trained in it. They've got typically at least 15 years of experience before they get to be a principal. They're well-qualified. Typically, they have a master's and sometimes even a doctorate. So they're well-qualified. They've got lots of experience. And the board is composed of amateurs. It's composed of volunteers, people who show up for 40 hours a year, who have a lot of other things on their plate. And they're very generous to give their time. And of course, they also donate to their schools because they love their schools, so here we, have, here we have two really weird dynamics, people who love their schools and giving up their time and giving money to the school or proving to be generous in every other way who also have this power thing uh, where they have an employee and they think sometimes that they know better. And so what has to happen is that both have to give up power, so to speak. The board has to say, you're the professional, you run the school, that's your job, that's why we hire you. The head of school has to say, the principal has to say, look, you're the board, you're my employer. I respect that totally. I need you to help me because there are things that I can't do without you. And one of those things is to think into the future. My job is the day-to-day, but your job is to think into the future. And with your professional backgrounds, whether you're uh, doctors or small business owners or people who work in corporations, entrepreneurs, whatever you happen to be, you have the professional expertise to think ahead. And I can give you the nitty gritty detail, but your job is to think ahead and say, in five and ten years time, what do we have to do to ensure our school is still is still around? Uh, and, and so they both have important tasks to do. They have to get together and work
0: together. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say it's hard to argue with success, and when you have people on a school board or that you know have been successful in their own career. But it doesn't transfer over all the time, does it? Just because they are successful, what they were, maybe uh, someone's a veterinarian or maybe whatever. And I guess this is what you're talking about. They are perhaps delusional or deceived into thinking just because that happened, that people should trust them in running a school. And that's not the case. You're saying the people who have the education and the know-how, that power struggle, I can imagine, you know that is uh, is difficult. I want to ask you something. You know that in the book of the Revelation, how Jesus sees the lampstands, or you know, he goes through uh, reviewing the churches. What would you say is a successful Christian school? Hard to say in a nutshell. Versus the red flags that you absolutely see, we have a problem.
1: Well, that's a great book to look at because in that book, Jesus says some of you are lukewarm. Because I really hate that. Like, get with the game. Be hot, be cold. I can even deal with that, but don't be lukewarm. And so the best schools are undoubtedly those where people are red hot about their mission. They're just so excited about what's happening in the lives of their children. They're so excited about working with great, great teachers. They're so excited about being on the board and being leaders in, in such an amazing kingdom enterprise. It's that fervor. It's that dedication that makes schools
0: really great. As head of a school, when you go back, you know, you started teaching in 1977 and served in Christian residential day schools for uh, over 26 years. What is one of the things that you noticed right away that you had a knack for being good at this, you know, for God giving you this gift? What makes you good at consulting schools?
1: You sort of gave me away with my longevity there. Um, I'll tell you this, the skills that I had in the 1970s and 1980s wouldn't get me going today. The craft of teaching has become so much higher in expertise. The challenges that we face, the kinds of things that kids need from us today requires a far higher level of skill than I had in the 1970s and 80s. I uh, went back to my local Christian school and I said, hey, look, I still got my teaching certificate. Do you ever need supply teachers? And they said, oh, yeah. So now I'm doing some supply teaching. That it's so interesting to go into classrooms in 2023 and go, oh, this is the child of today. Some things haven't changed. I mean, we haven't evolved dramatically in 50 years, but other things have changed dramatically around who the family is, the kind of attitudes that parents have, just very, very different. So what makes for a good consultant, whether it's me or, or somebody else? And I think the answer is understanding how when you drop the pebble in the pond, what happens to those ripples? What do they impact as they move out? Because you know the law of unintended consequences. I meant to do good. I really did. It's just that it didn't work out that way because I didn't understand that when I dropped the pebble here, it would have a big impact over there. It's sort of like the motorboat that goes down the river at high speed. (laughs) And yeah, we were having a good time. We were safe. We didn't hit anybody. We didn't get in anybody's way. But those big waves crashing against the shore, disrupting nesting birds and disrupting fish habitat, had a big impact. You weren't even aware of it. So I think as a, as a good consultant, you, you have this understanding of how the school works as a, a system and how philanthropy and teaching and parent relations and, of course, the child at the center of all of that, how that all relates together. People go to Christian school and come Monday, and a lot of
0: these parents don't understand. We're going to find out more about Christian schools right after this. Simon Jean's is our very special guest. He has a book too. Well, he has seven of them, but one, The Stewardship of Sacred Time. We're going to come back and talk right after this. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. Ocaso builds high-quality, extremely affordable action cameras that enable our customers to capture dynamic moments in life and share their world of difference. In less than nine years, Acaso has become one of the leading action camera brands worldwide, with sales of over a half million units annually. There's a world out there to explore and enjoy. While capturing every thrilling experience, Acaso's mission is to To inspire and empower more people to join, enjoy, capture, and share the fun of exciting outdoor sports, visit acasotech.com. Okay, we're back with Simon Jeans, and he is the founder of Christian School Management. And we see these Christian schools and, you know, yellow buses everywhere, but we have no idea really what goes into this. Do you find that, that, you know, parents, they send their kids to school, but they don't know what goes
1: on? Well, parents are very, I'm going to use a word that might sound nasty, but it's not intended that way. Parents are very selfish. They see everything through their children. That's fine. Parents love their children. Nobody loves their children like they do. They have a perfect right to do that. Uh, And so when they see the school, largely all they see is what their children do. And
0: that's fine. Well, one thing you hear about, you know, people, they study to be a teacher, Okay. They have the best intentions and maybe they go to some inner city and it becomes a very abusive situation and they don't last very long because they didn't recognize how difficult it was. Uh, even some pastors go through that <laughs> with, uh, you know, with people. So For sure. a Christian school, is it really different as far as, uh, you know, teachers maybe getting some abuse or not getting the support? And how do you counter that?
1: So isn't it sad that we can talk about schools where children are not supported at home, uh, where teachers are not necessarily supported by their administrators. Isn't that a sad thing to, to think about? And the waste of human talent that God has given us and the way in which we squander it. And I think that's one of the reasons that parents' look for a Christian school, and it's one of the reasons that teachers often teach at a Christian school, uh, even though they may not be compensated as well as they might in other areas, the satisfaction of knowing that you're going to walk into a school where everybody's walking in the same direction, everybody's moving to the same beat, so to speak. Uh, You know what the mission of the school is. You know that this is a place where your child is going to be loved. You know it's a place where the Lord is at the center of, of what goes on. Uh, That if something happens, the first thing people are going to do is pray about it. There's still human beings in schools. I I don't want to paint the picture that a Christian school is somehow this idyll. But at the same time, when the issues that happen everywhere happen in a Christian school, you just know that it's going to be dealt with very, very differently and very, very consistently and and in a way that allows you to feel confident that your child is going to be safe and nurtured and cared for. And at the same time, it's the kind of place where you find friends too. As parents, we find a lot of our parents uh, have their friend groups at school. When we talk with them, we talk with parents all the time as part of our work as consultants. What they tell us is that, hey, look, this is a place where if I have to run somewhere and and I'm at a game, for example, uh, I can leave my kid on the sideline with, with somebody else and be completely confident that they'll be good. Or if they go for a sleepover to their friend's house, I can be completely confident that they're not going to show inappropriate movies. You know, that sort of refrain. And I can be completely confident. That's uh, one of the great benefits of being in a Christian school is that you're now part of a community where the Bible is at the center of the community's life and love of the Lord is, is central to what's going on, driving, of course, an excellent education. Simon, I was just going to ask you that just now, as far as, would you
0: say that a Christian school, when people consider it, you know, parents, is it a better education? Is it better than a public or private school? Or, you know, is it subjective? Uh, how do you measure that? Are people surprised that maybe how much better it is, or is it
1: not as good? I think there are two answers to that. and And firstly, I want to make sure that nobody who's listening in thinks that we're opposed to public schools. It's just that in a public school, you, you can't talk about your faith. Right. It's just not permitted. Uh, but there are many, many really fine public schools, and there are thousands of fantastic teachers who are trying to do their best, uh, sometimes in very difficult circumstances in, in public schools. So we should, we should be praying for them as well, just as much as we pray for our children in our Christian schools. But I think that the two points I want to make is that uh, parents have become far more discerning and far more demanding. And so in the 20th century, they really wanted a place that was safe and where the faith was taught. And I'm not saying they didn't worry about the education at all, but it was much less of a consideration. Today, parents are coming to our schools and they're saying, not only do I want the faith, but I also want a fantastic Christian education. And so Christian schools have had to up their game. And I think by and large, uh, they're much better than they were 20 years ago. One thing when I went to seminary,
0: Long time ago. But when I went to seminary, uh, one of the things in church administration, they said, if you're a new pastor, the first thing you should do is change the bylaws. And, you know, these students, they look like deer in the headlights because, you know, they didn't know how to take that on or look at such a task as changing the bylaws. So I ask you, as far as a Christian school, what are the things that they need to do almost immediately to see changes made so things start running smoothly for them?
1: So the first thing is that the uh, school leadership, whether it's a small school that just has a principal and a receptionist or a bigger school that has a full leadership team. and, and we work with schools. I think the smallest school that we've worked with uh, over the seven years we've been we've been running, uh, had 67 students. Uh, and the largest school had over 2,300 students. We currently work with startups because we're dedicated to the renewal of the Christian school movement, so we're working with schools that haven't even started yet. But irrespective whether you're a startup, whether you're a small school, medium-sized, or, or a very big school, we work with a couple of schools that have multiple campuses. Now, the first thing is that you need to know what you want to do. It sounds so obvious, but strangely enough, it, it doesn't seem as obvious as it maybe it should be. So, What's the plan? Do you have a plan? That's number one. And does it look beyond in front of your nose? In other words, are you looking at the stone and the ripple? So that's number one. The the second thing is, are you priced correctly? And by priced correctly, I don't mean whether you're cheap or expensive. As soon as you charge tuition, you're expensive to a lot of people. But are you priced in such a way that you can pay your teachers properly, that you can deliver the mission with excellence, and that you can? Provide an effective educational environment that's safe. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, are you fanatical about enrollment? Are you fanatical about enrollment? Do you think, particularly as a a leader, do you think about how you invite people into the school and how you keep your families in the school on a regular basis, by which I mean every week? So those three things. Do you have a plan? Are you priced correctly? And Are you really interested in having kids at your school? Are you fanatical about enrollment? You know, in some way, you're like a Christian mechanic. Uh,
0: When you can can see the tinkerings, things that are happening in the school, and you could know right away, you know, just like a car, if it runs smoothly or you can see there's a problem under the hood because without your help i mean people really have no clue unless they contact an organization like yours a christian school management i mean how rewarding is it that you know you can see what's going on uh, almost right away i mean do they get a sense that
1: you have their number almost immediately so the reward is in the outcome i mean everything's based on results right and we come in and we're consultants. So at the end of the week or at the end of the three months of consultation or whatever it happens to be, maybe we're doing executive coaching, whatever it happens to be at the end, we we disappear and then they have to execute. And so you're always interested in, did it work? Like what what outcome was there? And the outcomes are extremely tangible, highly, highly tangible. So for example, I was just talking to a principal that we worked with back in 2017. When his school was about to go out of business, the following year, if nothing had changed, they would have had maybe 90 students. This year, they opened with 203. That's a tangible outcome. A school that's doubled in size uh, now actually has money in the bank, has things that are going well. They're investing in their teachers, investing in their uh, site, in their buildings. Um, that's a tangible outcome or a school where we go and we say, you know, when you fundraise, maybe it would be better not to sell Easter lilies, but rather actually to get into relationship with people because people are generous. They they want to give you money, but they need a good story. They, they need a good excuse. They need to know that their money will be well used uh, and not wasted. Uh, so let, let's talk about how you get a relationship with people such that they exercise generosity. I mean, Jesus had a fundraising committee go to Luke 8, and you actually read the names of it. I mean, I, I'm not inventing that. That's that's right there. Jesus had a fundraising committee. So we should have them too, because people want to invest in things that are worthwhile. So when we go to a school and, and we say, let's let's start to develop relationships rather than sell things, which is transactional, right? And the following year, you, you discover that they've increased their receipts by 25 or 45 or 65%. That's a tangible outcome. So for ourselves as a community of consultants at CSM, we want to know that there are tangible outcomes, not just that felt good. Yes. You're doing something
0: that's very hard to do, I imagine. I'm going to tell you what that is. You're making Christian school sound interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your book, The Stewardship of Sacred Time, our special guest, of course, Simon Jeans. But I am finding myself, this is actually very interesting. Uh, there's a lot more that we want to talk about. We'll be right back with the founder of Christian School Management, Simon Jeans, right after this. Tribe Signs was designed in 2010. We started operations as home and office solutions specialists and have since established ourselves as a trusted brand all over the the world. We have worked with some of the world's best designers and manufacturers to bring a curated selection of beautiful furniture to thousands of happy customers across America. Visit us at tribesigns.com. Okay, back with Simon Jeans. Uh, he's the founder of of Christian school management and making Christian school uh, sound interesting. It is interesting. We want to learn a little bit more. First, I was going to mention your book, The Stewardship of Sacred Time. Briefly, could you tell us about that one?
1: So I want you to think about life at a school through a child's eyes. Uh, When does it begin? When does it end? Uh, When's lunch? When are they going to social studies class? When are they going to art class? How long are they going to spend there? Who are they going to spend that time with? That's what scheduling is all about. And the stewardship of sacred time is all about scheduling. You go, well, why have a fancy title? Why not just call it scheduling? And the answer is because we have to understand that in a Christian school, when we put the word Christian in front of it, it's got to be transformational. If it's not transformational, it's not Christian. What's the point of putting Christian in front of it and just muttering a few Bible verses, saying a prayer and say, okay, well, that's it. That's not Christian. That, sure. that's, that's just gloss over the top. But if we say that it's Christian, then what we need to understand is where it comes from, what the Genesis of it is. And when we think about time, when we think about schedule, the time that people do things, then we go back to Genesis and we say, well, where did time come from? And the answer is, well, God created time. God mm-hmm. separated the light from the darkness and the light he called day and the darkness, he called night and he set stars in the in the sky in the darkness and he set the sun in the sky for the day. And out of that comes circadian rhythms and every cell has a circadian rhythm to it. And we operate by that. We have phases during our day. I don't know what your day is like, but I have a phase where I'm high energy and then afternoon comes and all I want to do is take a nap and then I'm high energy again. And then I want to sleep and sleep is a, is a blessed thing. We do all kinds of amazing things. We could have a <laughs> uh, a session, Michael, just on sleep. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when we think about the stewardship of sacred time, we actually think about the child's 24 hour day. So when we talk, uh, for example, to high schools, what, what does it mean to have three hours of homework when you just went to a basketball game between 7 and 8.30? How are you going to get that three hours in and still get eight hours of sleep that God says we need in order to be healthy human beings? And so we take account of all of those things. And in schedule, we can actually change the mood of a school. We can increase academic performance. Uh, We can decrease anxiety and stress dramatically. We can reduce student illness and absenteeism. It's staggering. So that's what the stewardship of sacred time is about. Yeah, it sounds like there
0: has to be a lot more substance for things to really work. And when people are all for the substance and they pay the teachers, you know, well, there's more of an investment. And it sounds like you've got people have to be on board with that investment before it happens. And if they miss that, I imagine that, you know, they're always thinking of loopholes and how to save uh, money and it just won't work. Well, you mentioned about saying, you know, when's lunch? I haven't evolved. I'm always (laughs) thinking that, when's lunch? But anyhow, Simon, what do you think you'd like to see change about Christian schools? You've been doing this as a consultant, again, the founder of Christian School Management. It has to do with the technology or the culture or uh, interjecting scripture. What would you like to see change?
1: The number one thing, Michael, that I'd like to see change is that we move from a theology of despair to a theology of hope, from a theology of poverty to a theology of prosperity. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. That's quite something else, and that has its own problems. I'm just saying that we live in a time where many Christians feel as if everything's against them. We sometimes get the sense that somehow we're being persecuted, that society is against us, culture is against us. And what I want to say to our Christian schools is, yeah, of course, like, duh, thus has it been ever since Jesus. Remember Jesus' story? culture wasn't against him think yeah. about the first century how did the christian church grow in the first century if we had had this desperate despair and anger in our christian schools and in our christian culture no we need to toss that overboard and instead bring a theology of hope which is what saint paul's letters were all about hope he says we hope for that which is not yet seen we hope in all things and so when we think about what can we do in our culture, the answer is we bring light into the darkness. It's all about hope and light. And then we start to think about, well, we don't have enough. We don't have enough of this. And we don't have enough of that. We don't have enough of something else. You think Jesus didn't know that? Why did he have a fundraising committee? How did he get his shoes? How did he get his new clothes? walking all those miles. Mm. Well, of course we don't have enough. But that doesn't mean that we can't have enough. It means that we have to engage with the people around us. And we're surrounded, Michael, by wealth in North America. Surrounded by it. We're going to transfer over $70 trillion from one generation to the next over the next 20 years. There is tons of money for Christian education. But we have to have a, uh, a theology of hope that makes us go out with big smiles and say, we have the victory. We don't have to win it. We already have the victory and we can have the best that education can give to our children because there are people who are generous and want to support it. Amen. Simon Jeans, the founder of Christian School Management.
0: Go get his books too. Check it out on Amazon. Uh, His book, we've been talking about the stewardship of sacred time. Uh, Thank you so much for everything you do and for being on the program.
1: It's been a delight, Michael. Thank you so much.
0: Real Traps is the premier source for high-performance acoustic treatment, including bass traps, broadband absorbers, and diffusers. Once a room has been properly treated, clarity and articulation of music and speech improve enormously. Whether you're a professional recording engineer, audiophile, or home theater owner who wants the best sound possible, upgrade your entire system with acoustic treatment from Real Traps. Visit RealTraps.com.